You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. This morning I want to talk to you about the Christmas hope. Now, I don't know what your childhood was like, and some of you may not be old enough to remember a childhood like mine, and that's okay. You don't have to tell me about it later how young you are. But when I was a kid, um, when I was a kid, I have memories of what they called wish books. Does anybody know what a wish book is? They came from Sears and J.C. Penney's and Montgomery Ward's. How many people even remember what Montgomery Ward's? And, um, and they were thick. And the thicker the better, baby, because there was good stuff in a wish book. And you took those wish books as kids, and we would circle like all the things that we, uh, we wanted for Christmas. And you would put a circle around it, and if you really wanted it, you'd put a star beside it. And then if you were like in our family, like it seemed like everything had a circle and a star. I don't know why. But then to like then add emphasis above the circles and the stars, you actually dog-eared the page. And for some of you who are too young to know what dog-eared means, that means you turned down the corner of the page so that your parents could easily find it because you knew they were old and couldn't find it on their own. So that's what we did, is we did that because we had these wish books. But I put this in your notes today. Hope is so much more than just wishing for something. It's living with the confident expectation of good. In his biography, autobiography, there was a Brigadier General, Robbie Reisner. I actually had the opportunity to meet him one time. Uh, he was captured uh, and what, spent many years in what they called the Hanoi Hilton. He was in prison in Hanoi. It was the worst prison to be in. And he actually spent many years there as a POW. And in his book that's called Passing the Night, he talks about the difference between those Vietnam POWs uh, who were with him, who died in captivity, and those who survived with him to the end. And he says the difference in those two groups was the people who died in captivity were the people who lost their hope of ever finding freedom again. See, they became convinced that rescue was not coming. They lost hope. They sunk into a despair, and ultimately they didn't have the will to go on, and so ultimately died in, uh, in Hanoi. But those who kept, and he says this in his book, that those who kept their resolve, that people in the U.S. loved them, that there was a possibility and of freedom, and they would find a way to free them, and that with God's help, they could stick together until that freedom came. Those are the ones who stayed alive. See, Dr. Billy Graham says this. Perhaps the greatest psychological, spiritual, and medical need that we, all people have is the need for hope. It's been said that a person can live 40 days without food, that you can live three days without water, eight minutes without air, but only one second without hope. This morning, I'm going to ask that you would turn and we're going to look at Galatians chapter 4. And I'm, I know some of you are already going, Galatians, that's not the Gospels, that's not the Christ, Christmas story. Yeah, we're going to go, it's a little different this year. We're going to come at it from a little different angle. But it's all for the purpose, same purpose. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, but when the time had come fully, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. This is a side note, but it's interesting to me. We we think of Abba, Father, and uh, we don't really think of the context of all that's there. The reality is, is that it's the same word. He's saying it twice, um, and he's saying it in two languages. He's saying it in Aramaic, which is Abba, which is what the Jews were. So you've got to realize who he's writing to. He's writing to the Galatians. They're a Greek audience. The Father word there is pater. It's in Greek. He's putting it in Greek. But he's also using Abba because all of the all of the Jews that had been dispersed through captivity that were all throughout Greece, this had become the word that they used for God. That the one that they could say. They couldn't say Jehovah. They couldn't say Yahweh. But they can say Abba. And so he is making it deadly clear who he is talking about. He is saying, I am talking about Abba. I am talking about Father. And he, he wanted no doubts. Because he wanted them to know that what God had planned from the crisis in the Garden of Eden and what the prophets had spoken down through the ages became reality when Jesus was born. Hope was born in Bethlehem. And this morning I want to talk to you about a couple of things. One is I want to talk to you about the birth of Jesus and that it brings us hope today because, and I want to give you a few reasons why. The first is that there's a provision for our greatest need and more. If you've got a pen and you've got your notes where it says our greatest need, write the words and more out beside it. This is bonus. Nobody other than Statesville is getting this. See, we needed restitution for our sins. We need a reconciliation with God. It is our greatest need. First Peter 1 is the verse that we've marked there, and it says this, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's he talking about? Abba. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, that was our greatest need. But here's the more. The more is in verse 4. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept for you in heaven. See, reconciliation was our greatest need, but inheritance, we get that to boot. It, it is, a, it is a, a great provision. It is the reason why we have hope today. There's also hope in our present realities. Ephesians 3.20 says this, He is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to His power that's at work with us, within us. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I don't know about you, but i got a pretty good imagination. I do. I've always had a really good imagination. I'm a creative thinker. I'm a creative. I come up with creative solutions. Um, it's one of the things that I do. Both I did it in business and I do it in church, and I do it now. I help other churches do it. I'm really creative in my imagination and my thinking, and my solution. So when this verse says to me that He is able to do immeasurably, you cannot measure how much He can do beyond what you can ask or what you can imagine. See, I'm, I've got a pretty good imagination. See, I can imagine that God knows how to save marriages. I can imagine that God knows how uh, to give us kids when we're 
unable to have them. See, I have the ability to believe that and imagine that God is providing financial uh, wherewithal and abilities and capabilities when everything in my bank account says it's not possible. I have the ability in this imagination to believe that God has the ability to resolve legal problems, my legal problems. Listen, I've faced a few. I believe and I have imagination to believe that he can resolve my relational problems, that he can provide transportation, that he can sell my houses, that he can heal my body, he can heal my mind, he can touch all of my impurities. I have a great imagination. But yet the word says that he has the ability to do something so far above that that I can't measure it. For me... That's a hope that gives me help in my present circumstances, in my present realities. And it's the birth of Jesus that brings this hope for the help of these present realities. But also, there's also confidence in times of chaos. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe I've just, maybe it's just the way I see the world, but I see the world in a lot of chaos right now. It's like every topic is chaotic. It doesn't matter what it is. Politics. World events, North Korea, Charlottesville, economic uncertainty. There are scandals coming about, out about everyone who is famous about their behaviors that are unacceptable right now. It doesn't matter whether you're a politician or an actor. It doesn't matter whether you, where you serve or where you live or what you've done. You can be the fair-haired boy of the favorite TV personality. It's all coming out right now. There's chaos everywhere. We still see, we're still having mass shootings. They just finally caught a serial killer. Uh, there's just chaos everywhere. But if I have hope, if I have hope, what it does it is it allows me not to hit the panic button when everybody else is. Our nation, our communities, people I meet, they're always hitting the panic button. And sometimes people look at me and I think at times they think it's almost apathy. It's like it's not apathy. It's I have hope. I'm not getting caught into the chaos of what the, because I have hope. I believe that God is capable to deal with all of that. Hope. Hope keeps us from having to hit the panic button. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. But see, the birth of Jesus also brings us the hope today. Because there's a future that we can look forward to. See, there's hope today because there is a future. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, Therefore, don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, and yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So fix our eyes on what is seen, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. See, a wish is a temporal perspective, but hope comes from an eternal perspective. The eternal hope is, is ultimately, it's like the ultimate confident expectation It's interesting. So I have some friends. Um, so for those of you who wouldn't know, before I was a pastor, I was a, an accountant, 
And I used to work for a Jewish accounting firm. All my clients were Jewish. I know a lot of Jewish people. And it's interesting to me that my Jewish friends in their seders often either leave a cup with wine or drink or whatever it is in it for um, the prophet Elijah. And some of them actually leave a, a seat at their table for the prophet Elijah. Do you know why? At the, at the weekly Seder, they do that. It's because they know the word says that the prophet Elijah will come before and he will foretell the one who is to come. And so they leave this concept that there is a drink or an empty seat at my table for, the, for Elijah because they are in confident expectation of Elijah's announcement of a coming Messiah. Here's the great thing. We've already found the Messiah. Right? We have a confident expectation that he's come. But even more than that, I have a confident expectation and a hope and a future because I have a confident expectation that his word says that he's coming again. That's hope. That's hope. We have hope in, in a future that we can look forward to. See, Jesus is the hope of the world. And as his followers, we are his hands and his feet bringing that hope to the world because we're confidently expecting that he's going to come again. That being the case, then there's a few things that we should be doing, and that's what the, the remainder of the time I want to talk to you about, is this. We should be celebrating the hope for its energizing. When we celebrate hope that is to come, it's energizing. Now, you've all seen this in kids. You've all seen it in athletes. When hope is absent, what happens? They fall apart. Need I remind you of the Panthers' Super Bowl run two years ago? <laughs> Who lost hope? Cam Newton lost hope. You could see it on his face. And we, I talked to a lot of people after that game. It's like you could tell like when he lost it and it was over. There was no chance of coming back because he had lost hope as to what was to come. But here's the crazy thing. Here's a perfect example. Last year, so one year later, last year, who played? Anybody remember? The Patriots and the Falcons. And the Patriots were down 24 to nothing in the third quarter. Tom Brady was down 24 to nothing in the third quarter. But they never lost hope. And they scored 31 unanswered points to win in overtime. Why? Because they never lost hope. See, we see it in, in, we can see it in earthly and temporal examples. We see it in what I talked about earlier before with General Reisner when he told the story about how it was hope that energized him and his, his fellow POWs to stay alive. But how much more do we have hope because we have it in Jesus Christ? See, Romans 15, 13 says this, May the hope of God fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, it's because of the birth of Jesus and his death and his resurrection that we have hope. And it's in this life and life to come that we have hope. We're forgiven and we're in right standing with our creator. We should also live the hope for it's contagious. Romans 12, 12 says, be, hope, be joyful in hope. When we live out hope, it inspires others to hope. 
Remember how we defined hope just a few minutes ago when I started it? What did I say it was? It's a confident expectation. I'll just stick with this whole this whole football thing. When that quarterback launches the long ball, right? He fires one out there. He has hope. When he's got a receiver who is streaking to the end zone and he fires that thing up, he has hope. He hopes that receiver is going to get to it. He he doesn't know for sure yet, but he has hope that he can. They've practiced. He has hope in it. But here's the crazy thing. It's, it's contagious. Why? Because when he does, what do we do? We all get up and go, yes, go! Right? Stands. 80,000 people cheer to their feet. Why? Because the hope of that quarterback that the receiver will get to it becomes our hope. We hope, too, that he will streak to it and that he will catch it and that he will win. There's a contagiousness in that. But it's also in other things in our lives, sometimes in somber and serious moments. I have family members who just this last week had some surgeries and stuff. I'm going to tell you that when the surgeon comes in and advises you and says, we're, we're, we're confident. We're confident. We have hope and confident that, we, that we're going to get all of this and we're, you're going to be good. For parents, and it's their child, they have no control over what's going to happen, right? But what happens is when that surgeon comes in and says, we are confident, we have hope and confidence that this is going to be all resolved and taken care of. What do we as parents, what do we as parents, we have hope and confidence as well. Why? Because we're, it's contagious. This guy has hope that this surgery is going to resolve it. We take that hope and we, we take it as our own, right? That this is going to resolve it. See, hope is contagious. There's... Even in somber moments, hope can be contagious. I'll tell you this, um, as it comes into the eternal life, my grandfather, uh, Frank H. Glenn, um, was a pretty wild dude. Uh, He was born in 1896, and he spent the first three or four decades as a wildcatter drilling oil. And if you've been around wildcatters ever, um, roughnecks, as they also call them, they are a rough group of people. And I would love to tell you that my grandmother tamed him, but that is not the truth. That is not the truth. This rough oil rig man found hope in the gospel to the degree that it changed him. And the hope that he had in Christ and the hope that he had for his family in Christ became contagious and it impacted his five kids and it impacted his 13 grandkids and I would tell you that it impacted his 23 great grandkids and my grandfather is long gone but I'm telling you there's two more generations after that of great-great-grandkids and great-great-great-grandkids that are still being impacted by the hope of the gospel because of the legacy that he left, because his hope in Christ was contagious. 
I am partly who I am because of his hope in the gospel. See, what you wouldn't know is that I gave my heart to Christ as a boy because I heard my grandfather on a Sunday night in a testimony service talk about what he believed in the future of heaven and of his home that was waiting for him there. This boy, that hope became contagious to this boy. But I also know it became contagious to my other cousins who are grandkids. And so that's why for the most part, probably about 80 to 85% of our family are serving Christ today. There's lots of pastors, evangelists and stuff because my grandfather's hope in the gospel to change his life became contagious to the rest of us. See, hope is contagious. But here's, and that brings me to my last point. If we share the hope, it brings life. My grandfather shared the hope, and so it brought life to his family. Hope brings faith, and faith brings eternal life. Even in circumstances where life and length of life is not only uncertain, it's certain that it's not going to go longer. I've sat as a pastor on many occasions in the room of someone who's in hospice care knowing that they're not going to be there more than the next 48 hours. And yet, because they're believers, because they have hope in a future, because they have hope in the eternal, it's kind of this unique dynamic There's this sense of win-win in the room. There's this sense that it doesn't matter what happens next. Because either way, I have life. Why? Because I have hope. I have hope in the gospel. I have hope in Christ. I have hope in in the future. I have hope in what the Word says. That Christ, the Apostle Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's still hope in that. See, John 3.16 and 17 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. See, according to this passage, believing in Jesus brings us eternal life and gives us hope for the future. Yet it also gives us hope for this life as well. And we don't walk alone. It's this hope and this confident expectation that we share to others, with others, and brings life to them. In just a moment, we're going to go back and do some worship. But I'm going to ask that for just a moment, would you bow your heads with me this morning? This sermon was done last night. I was done. It was fully prepared and ready to go until the Lord woke me up this morning. And he basically said this. He says, you've got people who you're going to talk to tomorrow morning, or this morning, and they've lost hope. They've lost hope in the midst of their circumstances And I want to restore it. 
Because hope is the precursor to faith. Scripture says that faith, that it's the faith that God actually responds to. You see, God responded because, as the word says, because Abraham believed, because Moses believed, because David was convinced, it says. And all throughout the book of John, it says that Jesus did miraculous works so that men might believe. And then Hebrews 11.1 1 links faith and hope together. And he says this, that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And Romans 4.18 says this, that Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. See, if you and I don't think that there's a chance, if we don't even have hope that there is a chance, there is no way we can believe. And if we can't believe, then there is no faith. And it's the faith that God responds to. So when God wakes me up this morning and says that there are people who've lost their hope, that really puts your faith in a precarious place for your circumstances. And so this morning, before we would continue to worship and do some other things, I want to pray for anyone here who would be courageous enough to say, I've lost hope in an area. I've got a situation. I've lost hope. You don't have to do anything other than just raise your hand and put it back down because I'm going to pray in just a minute. I just want to know who I'm praying for. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. today to orchestrate the events of this service Lord to bring hope to those God who have lost it Lord I don't know what the circumstances are that they've lost hope in but God today I pray that even as Dave spoke this morning God I pray that you would begin to pour over them Lord with Lord a mortar of your spirit God that will fill in the cracks where their hope has been broken God, where their hope has been burned out, God, I pray that you would pour over it. And God, that you would coat, Lord, that the stone of their hope, God, would be re-infused and re-strengthened, God, revitalized. Lord, this morning, God, for each one who's raised their hands and maybe those who, who wanted to. Lord, I pray that you would restore back to them, Lord hope in the midst of their circumstance. God, today we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now I'm going to ask one other thing that was unplanned for today. I've asked that um, some would come and they would be prayer team. And they would stand and, and pray with individuals. And here's what, the reason why I'm asking you to do this. We're going to do, we've got a couple more portions of worship planned today, but we didn't plan to do this, but this is what I think the Lord said. Today, you bring your hope and we will partner with people who have faith and we will pray for your circumstances. 
I've asked people to come and make themselves available so you could come and pray with them. These are people that I know. These are leaders in our church. These are people who are full of faith and pray for circumstances. These are people who are not unaccustomed to seeing God answer prayers that they pray, right? We want to pray with you in the midst of it. And all I'm asking for you to do is to bring your hope. And we will partner our faith. And we'll pray in the midst of your circumstances. And for the rest of us, we want to spend the rest of our morning in worship. Worshiping to the one who gives us this hope. The one who has made all of this possible. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.